Hello, everyone, and welcome to In This Economy, the podcast where young people from Zimbabwe and around the world discuss how they're navigating life in the current economic circumstances. With me, your host, Kim Yajega. So in this week's episode, we're going to be discussing social life in this economy. And this isn't just socializing with friends and family, but also how we relate and interact with each other as a community, as a society. Having My guests and I have had experiences living in Zimbabwe, experiences outside of Zimbabwe, and we're just unpacking how these have impacted our perspectives and points of view. So I really do hope you enjoy listening to this episode. We had a great time recording it. And once again, thank you so much for all the support so far. Please do not forget to follow me on social media at at In This Economy Podcast on Instagram and follow me, your host, at Kim Yajeka on Twitter. Um, so yes, please, your comments, everything, I appreciate so, so, so much. So yeah, let's get into the episode and I hope you enjoy. All right, so today we have a very special guest, someone who is very important to me, my best friend and host of the Feminist Bar podcast, Tina Maka. Welcome, Tina. Hey, Kim. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm really excited for you to be here and for us to have this conversation. Um, do you just want to introduce yourself quickly? Um, hi, everybody. How are you doing? My name is Tina, Tina Maka. I am a feminist storyteller and an activist, I think, for today. Um, those are the titles that I will go by. And I'm really happy to be here, excited to have a chat about things, and I'm going to find a way to make it about feminism. Mm-hmm. This is a very multifaceted hunt, but we're always going to take it back to feminism. So content warning, this will go in that direction. Um, so today we are discussing social life in this economy. And I always feel like we tend to look at our social lives just as something that's happening outside of the economic, political, and sometimes social circumstances. It's kind of like I'm sort of living and everything else is going on around me, but I really believe the two are correlated and that you can't separate one from the other. And so that's what we're going to unpack and discuss in today's episode. Um, So the first question I have for you is, what do you think is the biggest impact the current economic circumstances have had on people's social lives? I'm definitely going to first say mental health, um, which might be like a completely different dimension of this chat, but um, plays like a really big part on social lives. So being Zimbabwean, and I can just say like, has literally felt like every day I wake up in pain, you know, and that just kind of affecting already your head right it then also like deeply affects your pockets so um the places that you can go the kind of people that you can hang out with um you know the kind of activities that you can do with your friends how frequently you can do those things um with how much ease you can do them is definitely affected by the economy because if you know prices have gone up by five you know or by 10 in the last year or two then it's kind of like okay it's not as simple as us you know putting together this money and buying our bottle of, you know, Henny or buying our bottle of Viceroy and going to drink at that corner, even something as simple as that has become so strenuous and so difficult. So I think just the biggest impact is how limiting it has been. Um, Even when we complain, for example, about not having a lot of things to do 
in Zimbabwe, not having, you know, that many tourist destinations. And then you go on Twitter or you go on like Travel Zimbabwe where they're telling you, wait, there are things to do, but you need 500 United States dollars at a time that like no one um, in Zimbabwe is getting paid that much. So it's kind of like, what are we supposed to do? We're, we're just kind of existing. It's like you have to make your own social life within the social life, if if that makes any sense at all. That makes perfect sense. Um, and it's definitely relatable because I think also growing up, it's very strange that when I was in university, when we started being friends and my parents were still, you know, financially supporting me and giving me money, um, it was so much easier to have like a social life because now that all me and my friends are working and the economy just continues degrading if there's an economy to degrade, it gets harder because we're all formally employed. We're all technically making more money than what our parents were giving us, if your parents were giving you money. But the $50 I was getting in 2015 every month is not the $50 that we have now. And this yeah. is like earning, like I have a salary and the value of that money is definitely not the same. And it just makes, you know, socializing difficult, especially when all there is to do in Zimbabwe is spend money. I mean, you could say, oh, we want to go hiking at Dongoshawa, but that costs money. Aside from fuel, even just getting into the park and all of those things just make it really difficult to have a robust social life or as a millennial, the social life you quote unquote should be having, if that makes sense. Overall, I feel like this is a, this next question is something I've been thinking about a lot and has really been impacting my life for everyone who watches insecure it's one of my favorite shows but <laughs> we have um the two main sort of characters isa and molly are in two very different financial positions like they're best friends but they're in two very different you know strange positions and being fully employed in zimbabwe and um tina you getting like the amazing um fellowship opportunity that you had this year i kind of felt like the isa of our friendship in that moment because you were definitely making a significant like a larger amount of money than what I was making just not because of our job titles or anything but just because of the economic situation in Zimbabwe um so I just wanted to ask how you personally have navigated income disparity in, in friendships over the years um, where there's people who have different, you know, economic backgrounds and capabilities. Like, is that something that's been an issue and how have you navigated it? So, first of all, not you calling yourself the ESA. I'm saying it felt like it. It felt like it. But what I would say about that is I definitely don't think that income disparity is, is a bigger deal in friendships as it is in relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's important, but I think with your friends, you'll always you can always sit around and look at each other do you know what i mean um and obviously this is just talking about like on individual occasions i know like the bigger picture income disparity looks different um it's not just about where you can hang out or you know how much sushi that you can buy so i think for me being you know openly communicative about the whole thing is perfect for me i think i have a lot of difficulty answering the question in the context of you and i but it's easy for me to answer the question when i think about my other friendships and like previously having been friends with people who were making significantly more than me is that i almost didn't want to hang out with them because i felt like no matter what i explain 
whatever they're going to want to do is going to be more expensive than what I want to do. And even if we go out, I am going more out of my way to be there than they are. And I'm sitting there saying, oh my God, why is this cocktail $6? Mm. Right. And they're saying, oh yeah, we came somewhere affordable where the cocktail is $6. Um, And, you know, I have on several occasions been unable to go, for example, to a party or a dinner because like, oh, like I just couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. And while that is, you know, it's something that has made me sad and almost put like a ceiling, some kind of like glass ceiling cap on a friendship being like, well, if we can never really hang out, if we can only hang out once a month when I go out of my way, when are we ever really going to spend time together? And at what point are we really going to nurture this friendship? So I think, yes, previously it has kind of affected the kind of social circles that I enter and the way that my friendships grow and develop But then also looking at like one of my closest friends in this life is someone who makes probably like 10 times what I make. And our friendship has been fantastic. So I think it definitely is also like a character and a personality thing, how you look at money, um, what you interpret to be wealth or comfort and how your friends fit into that, how your friendships fit into that. If you're someone who, you know, if I want to hang out with my friends and the only place I feel like I'm going to be able to talk to you is at the spa, then sis, we're not going to talk unless we're at the spa. Right? 100%. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I, if I've answered the question correctly, it was actually really hard. No, that's, that's perfect. I think it's something that I've also had trouble um, picking up on myself. Um, and you sort of touched on like the second part to it, if we should factor, you know, people's monetary status, their economic status in friendships, as much as we do in romantic relationships. And just on your side, a little bit for me, um, just to piggyback off what you said, I really think we should. Um, only because like what you're saying, if I can't spend time with you without me going out of my way, the other side of it on a friendship level will be like, do you see I'm going out of my way to come to the spa with you? Um, but it'll also affect like how, like, what is a good time to you? If a good time means spending money, I don't know that we could be friends unless I'm also in a financial position to be able to do that. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I think it does like what you're saying about that sort of cap on the kind of friends you can have. I think it does have an impact, but, you know, um, uh, it really comes down to as well, someone's personal relationship with money, how they view money, you know, if they can see the hunger in people's eyes when they're hanging out with them, you know, those sort of things. I do have kind of like a follow-up question because you gave the example of Isa and Molly. Yeah. And that question, just off of what you've said now, do you think that Isa and Molly would be in in a season two, season three, um, Insecure, which is when Isa was like at her absolute worst, kind of homeless, kind of yeah. going through it. Kinda. Would Isa and Molly have been friends if they had met at that particular time? Or is what held their friendship together the fact that they had been friends even prior to having that disparity between them? Because I think that also plays a huge, huge part, like the origins of the friendship. Because if you wake up a billionaire today, it doesn't necessarily mean you and I are no longer going to be friends. For real? I'm kidding. Uh, no, I think <laughs> I think yes, the nature of the friendship does, um, you know, it will impact, especially if someone starts making money, it will impact that. But on the other side of it, I do think that 
um, you sort of set into roles in friendships. Um, I don't want to go too much into unpacking that, but I do think um, now this is like more of a personal thing. If you feed off of, you know, people needing you or you being the one with money, it's going to be strange when your friend also has money or if, you know, in a group of friends, the ice boys, that whole conversation, like, the person who's always going to be there in the passenger seat, who's always going to be there, you know, to take care of the one in the group who has money. Um, when their position changes, I think the entire dynamic of the social circle would change. You know what I mean? And I think it'll speak to the depth of the friendship if things change like so radically when money, when more money gets involved or you're at equal parity. Like, yeah, I can go to the spa on Wednesdays now. Like, what's up? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, all right. So the next question I have is um, sort of piggybacking off of what we've been discussing, just as how as young Zimbabweans, everyone is, you know, well, most people, not everyone, I can't speak for everyone. Uh, most people uh, look abroad for opportunities. Um, many people have left Zimbabwe for better opportunities. Um, so people have been exposed to different cultures and ways of living. Like this is different social cultures, political cultures, but also the way people spend money. Has this impacted the way we relate to each other as young Zimbabweans? And in your experience, has this ever caused challenges with friendship? I want to say yes and no. Mm-hmm. So 100% we are all super exposed to different things. Mm-hmm. Um, Zimbabwe being a country that is, you know, extremely problematic, super homophobic, extremely misogynistic, um, extremely tribalist. I think that those differences are only because you have people going overseas and learning, oh, wait, I can't be homophobic. I can't be this. Actually, I've changed. I don't want to be that person anymore. And then people back home saying, oh, well, you don't know your culture. You don't know your tradition because our tradition is to be homophobic. And you have these like these different fights and exchanges that go on on social media that show you it's actually you know what it's not just about that you know the conversation is so layered because it also becomes about oh people in the diaspora think they're so much better than us oh well you're overseas um cleaning toilets at least i'm here like doing a real job and someone else saying well you don't have any money so what real job are you doing so i think as an already divided nation the economy has divided us even more you have people like all over the world be it like family friends people that you used to know and because of that we've just started leading completely different lives where your main focus when you wake up every day is to make sure that you make it. And once you've made it, that you stay there so that you never have to go back. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's a great way to live. I think a lot of people are suffering. And I can like personally say myself, I just have this huge fear of like things not working out and me having to go back to Zim and, you know, trying to make it work, trying to work for that NGO that's going to pay me $300 and me trying to make that stretch. And that's, scary um and i would say you know with the friendships most of my friendships have been long distance for a while now and that's because of this thing of everyone is trying to get out everyone is trying to find something better everyone is trying to make a better life i wonder what it's like to be in a constant state of just existing content and existing where you are saying i'll see what opportunities come my way here i'll see what i win here i'll see what i lose here because this is home and i can make it work but as a zimbabwean we don't have that feeling um and i think also like cultural exposure for me i mean i spend a very small amount of time living in a different country 
And um, the cultural things, I mean, you expect the shock, of course, that you're around more white people and people do things differently. And, you know, everything is not like, oh, we're going to the bar, we're going drinking. Like people want to do wholesome activities, like swim at the lake. Like those are cultural differences. But I've also noticed one thing that impacted me is the way people spend money outside of Zimbabwe. And when we go out, um, this, the way we, you know, split bills and do those kinds of things is very different. Um, and out there, it's funny enough when I was there and we would go out and the expectation was, you know, everyone splits the bill equally. Um, that's just culturally how they do things. And I'm just there like, you know, I, I didn't even want to come out tonight. That's why I only got a salad, you know, but everyone is <laughs> yeah. like four ways and no one questions it. You know what I mean? Or um, you get people who their culture is like, no, I invited you out. So I'm going to pay for everything. That also made me uncomfortable because I'm like, okay, I'm so used to splitting the bill, like not equally, but for what I paid for. But also if I knew you were paying, I would have gotten harder. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's things like that, that um, you bring that home and you also realize just how different we do things, but on a political and social level, um, re-socializing into a homophobic or an ultra, what I call an ultra conservative space also impacts the way you see things. And going back to what you said about how, you know, the economy affects our mental health. I imagine that, you know, um, when you see the homophobia, having been in spaces where homophobia is vehemently rejected, it's hard to reject it, but it's also hard to swallow. So I can't imagine someone who is actually in the LGBTQ plus community um, experiencing that, having been somewhere where, you know, homophobia is pretty much illegal, there's no way it's justified in any shape or form, um, that would also impact your mental health and speaks to greater, like, issues. And economically now, have your personal politics impacted your social life in any way? Or have you been able to readjust to being in Zimbabwe? Like just whenever you've had to come home, I just like readjust and join the same, you know, possibly group of problematic oh. or ready to adjust no. to a problematic workplace or what is, what's that like? No, I have no friends. Okay. <laughs> um, honestly, I think for a long time, you know, in my queer journey, again, this is a loaded topic on its own. Yeah. It was just, well, you know, this is what's there. These are the homies. These are the people we drink with. It's cool. They don't have a problem with me until I realized it's not enough mm. for people to not have a problem with me. I need to be loved and appreciated and recognized all the way through for who I am and my place in the world. Cause that is me as, as a person. And I just kind of decided at some point this year that as long as I didn't feel that threshold was being met in my life, I was going to like completely remove myself. And what that resulted in is just kind of like me really not really having that many friends. <laughs> Sad. Mm. But I will say it feels good on the inside mm. to know that the people that I've kept around me are the people who you know, make me feel fulfilled in my friendships. But, you know, that thing of avoiding all the places that make you uncomfortable, it's hard if the places that make you uncomfortable are most places. So, you know, there's certain places already that we probably don't go to because we're like, uh, it's super misogynistic over there mm -hmm. or this and that. So that canceled out 
a couple hundred places. It's like, oh, we're not going to go there because people are homophobic. Cancels out another couple number places. Um, and every time you hear something negative, something that doesn't align with your personal politics, you're like, oh, okay, fine. I guess I can't do this. Like, I can't even listen to Rap Caviar anymore on Spotify because I've canceled so many people that are on there. I just have to sift for my own music through the entire <laughs> music app. That's kind of like what it feels like I think that's like the perfect example but it's also kind of impacted my love for field work and my love with like mm-hmm. interacting with people within the community mm-hmm. because speaking to people and helping people and then in the back of my mind I'm like oh if they knew you were gay they probably be wouldn't yeah appreciate all this help they wouldn't appreciate you being here so and I think that it, it definitely that that is how it's it's impacted my 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 social life and navigating it it's again like minesweeper just avoiding the places that I think are not going to work out for me and then still probably most of the time having to deal with discomfort um, and marginalization because most places are like that yeah no definitely I think I can also um, agree with how lonely it must be but you know in a country where uh, the unemployment rate is like at 95 percent or something I will definitely have to check like the official stats and where sometimes you are left with no choice but to have to work and maybe not the formal employment aspect, that's a whole different episode that will unpack it, but like there's the social aspect of you're talking to your coworkers and they're saying misogynistic, homophobic, or just things that are deeply, deeply problematic, but you kind of have to like stomach it because in this economy you can't afford not to have a job that can make the experience pretty lonely because when everyone is saying oh we're going to jam tree where there's that racist owner and um we know that serial you know misogynists go there as well and there's a couple homophobic staff members but everyone who i guess isn't really impacted by that will be fine with going to the establishment where all of that is happening um and you're just kind of there like um I'm not going to do that. I hope I have, you know, enough friends or family members that I can spend like Friday night with or Saturday night with to hang out because like you were saying, all the the list gets smaller and smaller every time you hear about an incident. So yeah, yeah, it, it can get very lonely. But again, in our small economy and in our small country where it kind of feels like everyone kind of knows everybody, um, we've seen the value of social capital, knowing and being cool with a lot of people, like what you were saying, how it's okay for a while you accepted people just accepting you as an individual, but maybe not your community as a whole. We've seen that that social capital is really powerful and worth a lot more than what we give it credit for. Um, We have so many influencers, for example, who don't do much influencing in the traditional sense, but they're just voices on social media that spew a certain rhetoric and everyone sort of clamors to them. And all of a sudden they have a radio show or they're writing a book or I'm not going to name any names, but we know like these people. A large group of people, especially Zimbabweans, on your side because that can push you know, whatever product, whatever school of thought, whatever it is you want to do, social capital is worth a lot in this environment. Um, But now pursuing social justice, wanting to challenge things like misogyny, sexism, homophobia, um, child marriage, like all of these things that seem somewhat justified by our culture, quote unquote, can we afford to pursue that social justice at the expense of social capital. So what I'm saying is if I come out and say I'm a feminist, I know 
a lot of people are going to stop listening. A lot of Zimbabweans are going to stop listening to my rhetoric because she feminism, GGG, all of that stuff. Like it's a, a very misogynist society. So if I say I'm speaking for women, people will stop listening. Um, so I may have to tailor my message to keep my social capital so that some version of what I'm pursuing comes to fruition. Can we afford to have radical social justice movements when we want to have political change, all of those kinds of things? Can we afford to do that to the exclusion of the social capital, to the exclusion of the more powerful voices? Can we afford to do that? So I think what I'll say about that is I think there's a huge misconception and a lot of dishonesty around the conversation about justice, mm-hmm. which is um, what is justice? What does it look like? Um, what is economic justice to us, but what is social justice as well? The idea that we can have one without the other is extremely flawed, mm-hmm. right? To me, that's kind of how I see it. So, you know, I'm not gonna like not to I'm not gonna name drop, but if anyone, for example, in MDC Alliance was like, oh yeah, like I'm gonna support gay rights, then what? Oh, Zimbabwean's not going to vote. Yeah. Or what are they going to go back to to to, to Zanu PF? Mm-hmm. Is that is that what people are saying is going to happen? Is that the argument that no, they can't say that they're gay because Zimbabweans don't like that? But what are Zimbabweans going to do? Because we're suffering. We're all suffering, mm-hmm. right? So what is so so? Why really are you putting yourself in a position to make a choice when you have not been asked to make a choice, but you are deciding to make a choice because it's easier to throw someone under the bus? At the end of the day, we don't know what MDC Alliance is going to do for Zimbabwe. We don't know what any opposition is going to do for Zimbabwe. There's a time we thought we knew what was going to happen with political parties and we were gravely disappointed. So how does anyone know that if we choose one thing, we are going to have to forfeit the other? How do we know that if MDC stands for gay rights today, no one is going to vote for them and then that's it? You know, I'm firmly against that conversation and I feel like it it happens all the time on social media I feel like it's been happening to women I feel like it happens to gay people sometimes it even happens to children which is so fucking tragic that people will say well you know what that's not really on the agenda right now then kind of like what is on the agenda yeah so I think just starting that conversation from scratch to say what is justice and what does it mean for us to be free and are we really free if no one is free because the government that oppresses one marginalized group is going to oppress another. Mm. So for me, I think that the way that you approach your policy and your inclusion in terms of certain groups, especially in terms of minority groups, is exactly what shows what kind of government you are. So we're going to need a little bit more of that in Zimbabwe. Overall, in in general, um, just with how economics doesn't exist in a vacuum to how we relate to one another on a social level as people, just to sum it all up, under the current economic circumstances, what is the best way, in your view, that we can navigate having a good or healthy sort of social life in this economy? What are things that are important to you that you think people should consider? Um, just so that you can survive, maybe even thrive in this economy, but just to survive, what's helped you? Looking outward, (laughs) (laughs) looking outward has really helped me and taking myself out of the mental place of it can never be me to why not me. Mm. So that combination um, for me has led me to only look for opportunities outside of Zimbabwe. Even if I have nothing going on, I'm going to be looking outside of Zimbabwe, you know, and even if I'm still in Zimbabwe, 
even if I'm working from home, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm one step out because I don't really have anything positive to stay, to say about trying to stay because it makes, that place makes me afraid. We have been afraid together, actually. How many times have we passed like police forces, army forces together and we're like, yo, they're just making me so scared. Yeah. And why is that? And I, for me, all of that, like all of that political stuff is heavily tied yeah. to what is going on with the economy because it is reflective of, of corruption and, and, and violence and, and abuse of power. Yeah. I mean, what I can say is all the best and look outward and run. <laughs> you heard it here first. The best way to survive in this economy is to leave Zimbabwe. Um yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Tina. Is there anything you want to plug towards the end of the episode before we sign out? Um, just to, you know, say thank you for having me on this episode. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Makatinazwe. All right. Thank you so much. And do be sure to catch her podcast, The Feminist Bar Podcast, where um, we impact similar issues, but definitely from a feminist perspective. So thank you so much for listening in. I hope you all enjoyed the episode and I'll see you next time. And that was the episode with a feminist powerhouse of note. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please do not forget to follow the podcast on social media at at In This Economy Podcast on Instagram and follow me, your host, at Kimya Jekka on Twitter. Uh, let me know what you think. How has this economy impacted your social life with your friends, with your family, but also with the community around you? I'd love to hear your points of view and let me know. Otherwise, I will catch you all next week. Bye.